already has us ready a little bit with this. She's told you the story of Daniel chapter 3, how we see Nebuchadnezzar at this time. He makes this big golden statue, and he wants everybody to bow down and worship this statue. Whenever, you know, the band's going to play and all these things are going to sound, and everybody's supposed to bow down and worship this statue. And we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when all that stuff starts and, and these things are going on all around them, they don't bow. And so then the other people are finding out about this. They report them to the king. And uh, the king gets upset about this and brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in and tells them, no, you, you've got to bow down when this happens. And they say, no, king, we, we don't have to bow down to this. We don't have to answer to you. We're going to serve the Lord. And whether the Lord saves us or the, whether the Lord does not save us, it doesn't matter. God is still God, and we're going to serve him. We're not going to serve your gods. And then, of course, they play the stuff, and they don't bow down, and the king gets very, very angry, stokes up the fire so hot that it kills the people who are stoking the fire. I mean, that's a pretty hot fire. Throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, and you then see the king stop and go, hold a minute, didn't we just throw three people in there and they were bound up? But I see four people in there and they're just walking around like nothing's ever happened. And so he goes to as close as he can to this fire. He calls them out of the fire and tells them, hey, come, come here. And, and as he brings them out of the fire, they don't even smell like smoke. Now, I don't know about you, I, I love grilling. Anybody else love grilling and smoking things and doing stuff like that? The one thing I don't like about grilling, I go outside to flip things, and it's like I flip a burger, I come back inside, I go, got to change clothes, okay? And it gets on you. But God so completely rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't even smell like smoke after being in the fire. And then we see in this story Nebuchadnezzar again, much like he did in chapter 2, when Daniel interpreted the dream, Nebuchadnezzar then worships the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and rewards them. And so this is our context today. And we see that. That's chapter 3 of Daniel, Lindell's paraphrase of it. I encourage you to read it. We'll look at some things word for word here as we go along in a little bit. But that gives you the context of what's going on. So here's a struggle. So you look at a story like this in Scripture, and you go, wow, isn't that amazing? And it may encourage you, and, and you may think, okay, I really see that, that God's there and he rescued them. But then something probably creeps into your mind. You go, I don't think anybody's going to be throwing me into any furnaces anytime soon. And so you begin to think, well, how do I take something that I see like this and really live that out? What's God's word trying to, to say to me this morning? So I just want to have a confession right up here at the first. I'll tell you, I have wasted a lot of time in my life looking for the convenient and comfortable path rather than following God's word and standing for my convictions. I haven't done it necessarily on purpose, but there have been times that growing up in the particular way you grow up, and it really doesn't matter where and how you grow up, culture kind of gets on you. You kind of begin to blend your experience and the culture you live in and God's word, and they all kind of kind of mish together like this. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish between them and go, well, what's going on? And you understand what's happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They have been removed from their culture, and they have been brought and indoctrinated and swamped in the Babylonian culture. 
And so everybody at the time is just trying to make sure that they do nothing but what the Babylonians want to do. And yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and along with Daniel, are staying true to God's word even in the midst of that culture. So I will tell you this, while we may not stand here today feeling threatened that we're going to have a stand for our faith that's going to, be, that's going to cause us to be thrown into a fiery furnace, compromise is killing the faith of many Christians. And that's what we need to understand. And compromise, I believe, in our culture is almost like death by a thousand paper cuts rather than something that we see like this, where, where we have a tendency to look at God's word and we have a tendency to look at our life and the culture around us and go, well, I guess that's not relevant anymore. Or I guess, well, God's word's out of date on that. Or I guess this doesn't matter. Or I guess this is not what needs to happen. And we start to blend these things together. And honestly, if we look at it, and if I look at it in my life, the reason I start to blend those things together and to compromise is so that I can either be comfortable or so that it benefits me and what I think is best. And that's just an honest confession. And it's something that I have to have a continual struggle with. I have to be very aware of this to go, okay, I need to know what God's word is saying and how to live this out in this context. Now, something else that you need to understand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Babylon. They were trained by the Babylonians. They went to the University of Babylon. They were leaders in that country. They were there. They were fully engaged in the culture they were in, yet not compromising their faith in God. What does that look like? Here's the only way that you're able to do that. You have to have a crystal clear picture of what God's word says. I can't give that to you. I can give you bits and pieces in tiny fragments on a weekly or daily basis if you watch our devotionals. But I can't help you put enough of God's word into your life for you to be able to distinguish and and find a path through all the situations that life may throw your way. And sometimes because we don't fear getting thrown in furnaces all the time, we just kind of wander through life not really being sincere about digging into God's word and molding and shaping our life by it. So here's my advice for all of us up front. When it comes to God's word, we need to learn to obey even when it hurts. We need to learn to obey even when it hurts. Because God's word is leading us to a life that can only happen by following God's word. And it's different than the life that comes up that we concoct perhaps in our own minds or when we mix culture or when we mix experience or when we mix the wisdom of age, which is a great thing in life, with God's word. Those things start blending together. If we're not careful, we need to, we need to be real careful in our life to make sure that we say God's word and God's word only. What does it lead me to do? And one of the things that stands out to me about this story in particular, I'm going to read some highlights of it here in just a little bit, is I know in our culture we have so many things that we might look at a story like this and say, man, we've got to make a stand. You ever felt that way? Man, we've got to make a stand. We've got to say something. We've got to do something. I have to do something about this. But if you look closely at this story, that's not this story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not go looking for the stand. The stand came looking for them. So, so I can't tell you countless people who come to me 
with very important things. I am not belittling these things. I need you to hear me on this. With very important things, things that are troubling them in their life or in the culture around us. And they, want, they come to me going, the church needs to do something. You need to do something, Pastor. you got to say something. you got to get out there. Do something. Go. And I'm like, you got to understand, when I look at God's word, I don't see examples of people going, they passed a law, let's go riot. You know, they didn't, it's not what's here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't go, man, we got to make really good signs, and we got to get social media all organized, and we have to get together, and we have to let everybody in the province of Babylon absolutely know that we are 100% against this. It's not in here. As a matter of fact, notice this. Whole, whole province is there. The horns play. Everybody bows down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just don't bow down. They don't go around going, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. And look at all you people in exile. Have you forgotten God? I can't believe you did that. I can't. No, they just didn't bow down. And then what happens is you see this. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, verse 8, it says, Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. So let's gain a picture of what's happening. These men who were exiled from Judah came in, and we know from the story of Daniel chapter 2 that when Daniel was able to answer the king's dream, and none of the other wise men of Babylon were able to do that, we see at the end of chapter 2 what happened. Daniel was appointed to the king, and he said, hey, how about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how about you let them rule over the province of Babylon? And so these guys are rulers in Babylon. Now, if I grew up in Babylon, serving the king, working hard, going to school, making straight A's, doing everything right like the king told me to do, and yet here come these yahoos from Judah who are coming in now, and they get appointed to this because this guy interprets a dream, I don't like them. I don't like them at all. And so the first opportunity I get to go, hey, king, you think these guys are so smart, but look what he's doing. That's what's happening in this picture. The Chaldeans, the people who were in this culture, took this occasion to come forward and to maliciously accuse the Jews. Hey, King, you said we're supposed to bow down. They're not bowing down. They're not doing what culture said we're supposed to do. They're not doing what the king said that we're supposed to do. Now, once again, you don't see this story saying the king passed a law that everybody's got to bow down. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got together and went to the king and told him why he was wrong. No, they did not go looking that way. It came looking for them. And when the king talked to them and said, look, you guys need to do this. you got to tell me why you're not doing this. Their response was simply this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer. If the God we serve exists, I love that phrase, if the God we serve exists. That's what they said. They didn't say the God that we serve is going to rescue from this. They just looked at him and said, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. They weren't angry. They weren't upset. We, they gave a very firm answer. They gave a very clear answer. But again, 
They weren't doing it out of fear or out of anger or out of anything else other than, hey, we've been accused and we're telling you why we're doing this. We serve the Lord. Even in the midst of all the culture of Babylon that's going on around us, we have found a way to honor and serve the Lord. And what I have been saying in this sermon series is even though the book is named Daniel, and even though we talk about Daniel and his friends, this book is not about Daniel. And it's not about his friends. It's about God. It's about us understanding that no matter where God puts us in life, there is an opportunity that we have to honor him and serve him and follow him no matter what anything else is going on around us. Compromise is killing the faith of many Christians in our culture today. And we have to learn that it's not our responsibility to handle that in anybody else's life except our own. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made the decision, we're not going to compromise. And it changed the world. Do you see how that works? God may very well put you in a position sometime where you're brought at a crossroads and you have to make a choice of whether I'm going to make a stand for the Lord or I'm, or I'm going to compromise on this. And God may use you to change the course of history at some point in time. But more than likely... What's going to happen is on a daily basis, this compromise that I'm referring to as death by a thousand paper cuts is going to creep into our life and we daily are going to have to make the choice to go, I'm going to live for the Lord even though experience, culture, and everything else says this. That's how we need to live. That's how we need to learn from this particular passage. So how then can I know when to make a stand? What does it look like to make a stand? If I'm if, if, Pastor, what you're telling me is I can't just be passionate about every wrong that's out there in the world because it's impossible. I'm not saying they're not wrong. I'm not saying not God, God's not calling you to make us stand about something. But do you understand what I'm saying? That if we chose to, we could just live offended, right? But I mean, we could, I could be offended right now, you know. I cannot believe the way that blah, 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 you I fell in the blank. Y'all thought I was going to say something, didn't you? I didn't. Ha ha. That's called the Holy Spirit going, stop that sentence right there, son. I'm, okay, that would be great. That would be a good idea. But we could all just choose to live offended all the time if we wanted to, but that's not what God wants us to do. We have to understand that there are times that God might call us to make a stand. More than likely, there's, many of us are not going to have the opportunity to make a public stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in front of the king and change the course of history. But God is going to use us to make a stand in the lives of people that can make a difference when we choose to follow his word. But how do we do that the right way? Let's look at some of the ways that they did this. First of all is this. We need to pursue God, not glory. We need to pursue God, not glory. Now, can I just go ahead and tell you right off the bat, we live in a culture that desires to be recognized. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with recognizing people and acknowledging people and these type of things. But when it comes to our faith, we pursue God, not glory. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't go into this thinking, oh, here's our opportunity to go make a stand. They, they were living with constant criticism. You can discern that from this story because when that verse says the Chaldeans took the opportunity that they saw, that means they were probably looking for opportunities. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were living with a constant criticism, but nowhere in there do we see that they're actively trying to do anything about it. 
They just come to the place where they go, you know what? When I live for God and I live for his glory, it's probably going to put me in a place when I'm at conflict with culture and people don't understand why I'm making the decisions I make. I just have to learn to live in that tension and just go about life in this way. They were quietly and faithfully fulfilling their calling. I said it before in this, but this really stands out to me, and I really think it's something that needs to be hit home. They did not go looking for this fight. This fight came to them while they were quietly and faithfully and obediently following the Lord. And so these three were living their life in such a way that other people noticed that there was something different and they didn't like it. And then it turns around on them. And then at that point in time, they have the opportunity to go, okay, well, I, I guess I should bow down. Here I am in Babylon and all the other, you know, exiles are doing this. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, okay, King says he's going to kill us if we don't do that. we got to do that. And you know what would probably have happened? I'm, just, can we just have an honest moment? They could have probably bowed down and gotten together afterwards. Man, I didn't like that. Did you like that? No, I didn't like that. We had to do it. We didn't have to. I know, man, this culture is just killing us. I don't know what to do about it. Well, the king said he'd kill us. We don't want him to die. About How many conversations have we had like that? We just have to do this. This is the way it is. I mean, we just have, I mean, if we don't do that, what else are we going to I don't know. How else are we supposed to do Compromise is killing the faith of many Christians. And so we have to pursue God. And as we pursue God, if God does lead us to a crossroads like this, where we're put at a, at, a, at a crisis of belief, as Henry Blackaby would put it, where we have to make this choice of going, am I going to trust God's way or am I going to do this my way, then I would pray that we would have the courage to trust God's way. And that really is what we need to understand. Is we're trusting God, not results. We trust God, not results. Because it would be easy for all of us to do this if before we had to make a stand, God just said, hey, Lindell, you're going to have to make a stand about this. And I know it's going to be hard, but I promise you I'm going to see you through this because when you make this stand, this is what I'm going to do and it's going to be awesome. Then I'd go, oh, I got it. I'll make that stand. I'll go through that difficulty because, God, you've already told me how this is going to pan out. I absolutely love my favorite phrase in this entire chapter is, if God, if the God we serve exists, he can save us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just going, hey, if he's real, he can do it. If he doesn't do it, we're still not serving you. Because whatever happens to us doesn't change who he is. And that's what we're saying. We've got to learn to trust God because of who he is, not because of what he does. Woo, I'm going to say that again. We've got to learn to trust God because of who he is, not because of what he does. There are many people who walk the path of following Christ as long as Christ is doing the things for them that are good for them. But when they come to that place in life where maybe my faith is no longer moving me forward in the areas that I would like to be moved forward with, they easily dismiss their faith and they compromise and pursue other things. I pray that's not you. I pray that you would seek God so much today that you would say, God, I'm going to trust you for who you are. I've got to quit worrying about results, which are man-made results anyway, because I need to learn to look for you and see the type of results that I need in my life from following you just because you're you, not because of what you do in and around me. 
We also see, I just want to remind you, example after example in Scripture, the more you read it, of God doing incredible things during someone's lifetime that they never see results of until generations later. They never see the fruits of their labor, but yet generations later, people benefit because of their faithfulness. Would you be willing to live that type of a life for God? I will live serving you every day, God, if I never get recognized, if I never see any fruit from it, knowing and trusting that my faithful service to you is going to mean something eventually in your time and in your way. That's what we see here. They didn't compromise with that. And so we're trusting in God, the person, not results. And there's something that that happens when we do this, when, when we take a stand for God, there's something consistent that we see in Scripture. When, when people are taking a stand for the Lord in Scripture, standing for God requires sacrificing self. That, standing for God requires, there's a requirement of taking a stand for God that, that is I sacrifice myself and my ways and my dignity and my pride and my money and my well-being or whatever it is. That, that's what we see over and over and over in Scripture that we all love to look at and go, man, I wish I had the faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, the faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hey, take our lives if you want. We're still going to serve the Lord. That's what we mean. Standing for God, requires, it costs us something. So let me, as the pastor of First Baptist Church, and, you know, we live in a culture that puts pressure on pastors to go, you better grow that church, right? You better get some people in there. Better do that. Let me say something that will let thousands flock to this church. Hey, you want to follow Christ, it's going to cost you something. That doesn't get you very far in this culture. Most people like to stand up and go, man, if you follow Christ, he will, he will love you, which he will. He will see you through anything, which he will. He will help you, he will. But it will cost you something as well. You lay down your life and you take up your cross. And you follow him, and he leads you to life. Life, not how you would define it in our culture, an Americanized, Texan, nice, comfortable picture, everything works out in the end type thing. Life. Now, some people might work out like that. Some people might be like the Apostle Paul, who had everything going for him before he followed Christ. And then everything going against him as you followed Christ. But if you were to ask him which life was better, he'd go without a doubt following Christ. Without a doubt following Christ is what I want to do. See, so you see what I'm saying? How culture kind of creeps in and, and we don't intend for it to. But somewhere in our head we start living in such a way that we somehow things start going rough in life. And inside something ticks in us and we go, I must not be following God right. <laughs> And in Scripture, I see people, when things start going wrong, they go, hmm, we must be following God right. Because things are starting to get a little bit difficult. Things are a little bit off. Things are challenging. I'm running into culture more often. I'm running into difficulty more often. But yet God is faithful. God is faithful, and he's seeing me through this. Standing for God requires sacrificing ourself. I love the story of David when King David wanted to make a sacrifice. I mean, here's the king. And he goes and he finds this man's field where he wants to buy it and make a sacrifice. The man's name was Aruna. And he, he comes to Aruna and says, hey, I want to buy your field. And 
the Aruna goes, no, 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 just take the field, man. You're the king. If you want to make a sacrifice to God, just take the field. And look what King David answered in 2 Samuel 24. He says, the king answered Aruna, no, I insist on buying your field from you for a price, for I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I'm not going to give something to God who so abundantly gave to me that just cost me nothing. I don't, I don't give to the Lord when I have enough in the bank account that I deem to go, okay, that's what I should be able to give to the Lord. I don't serve when my calendar is clear and I got nothing else to do other than to serve the Lord. When I serve the Lord and I give to the Lord, it costs me something. And when we do that, that's when we find that God is bigger than any of these things that we're facing in our life. So let me just tell you something real clearly. When it comes to making a stand, if God's not leading the charge, you're fighting alone. That's why I say we can't, we can't choose to just walk around offended by everything. Though God may lay something on your heart that he wants you to do something about and he wants you to take a stand with. And so hear me on this. I stand by this. Rarely, if ever, is God going to give you a conviction that's for someone else to live out. God's not going to put something on your heart that convicts you so that you can go tell someone else that they need to do something about it. Usually if God puts something on your heart that is a burden or a passion or a conviction, it's because he desires that you do something about it. That's the other reason we can't walk around all the time expecting everyone to take up every cause. Number one, because there's too many causes to take up. But if we all will focus on living and serving the Lord and taking up the causes that he causes us to be passionate about, we will make an incredible difference. You see, I've already said it. There's an abundance of things in this world that I can choose to find offense with, and I can do so righteously and biblically even. But I cannot tell you how thankful I am that God has simplified my faith to the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. See, even in the midst of me taking up a cause or taking a stand for a thing, I need to remember that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. So as I take a stand for something, that needs to be the context in which I do it. It's out of love of God and it's out of love for others, which generally is going to cost me something. It's not taking a stand and I need others to get on here with me because I don't want to lose this. And so if y'all don't stand with me, I'm going to lose something. No, the stand is I'm willing to lose everything so that you can know who God is and that my life can point to him. That's what this is. And we see that in the example of Jesus Christ, the way that he lived his life. He didn't live for himself either. We see his words in John chapter 5. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does those things. That's Jesus saying, I'm not here making my own decisions. I am just following what the Lord is telling me to do. You see, I just count it a privilege and a passion of mine to not have to take care of all the wrongs in the world, but simply introduce people to the one who can right every wrong in the world, and that's Jesus. That's the greatest thing that I can do 
to change the world is not to fight every cause, but to introduce as many people I can to the person of Jesus Christ. That will change the world. That's what we need to be passionate about. That's where we need to spend our time. I am not dismissing the fact that God may cause you to God may call you to take up a cause, and if he does, you do it with all your heart, and you let God lead the way on that. But more than anything else, the best thing that we can do in this world is introduce people to Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do that, there's going to be some things that we're going to need to do. First thing is we're going to have to be courageous. We're going to have to be courageous. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were courageous. They were incredibly courageous. They said, look, whatever you do is not going to change what I do. And so this courage that they have came from the Lord. And and this courage that we're going to have to have as we take a stand and as we hopefully use this as motivation to share with people, hey, look, I know that there's a lot broken in this world, but let me tell you the one who can make it all right, and that's Jesus Christ. We're going to have to be courageous. It might happen at times that aren't convenient for us. It might happen in ways that aren't in our normal routine. But be courageous. Step out there and Say something and do something and be that light for someone that desperately needs it. I love, love, love the words that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know he told Joshua that probably about 20 times. You know why he told Joshua that about 20 times? Because Joshua needed to hear it about 20 times. Because here's Joshua trying to lead this people of Israel into the promised land. And I guarantee you can get from that where Joshua's going, God, I'm, I'm out. I don't really want to do this. And you know, just be strong and courageous. Just be strong and courageous. So do it. Take that step. And when you do it, be confident. Well, now hold on, Pastor. How can I be confident if I don't know what's going to happen? You can be confident in Christ. Not in the results. Be confident in your relationship with God. Be confident in what God will do. Paul writes it this way. For, the gospel, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. That's why I suffer. But I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me to that day. Paul said, look. Because I'm following Christ, that's why I'm getting all this flack. But I'm not ashamed because I know he is able. I'm confident in him because I'm not looking for results. And I'm not looking at the things that the world is looking at. I'm not looking at things that culture is looking at. I'm looking at the Lord. And the one thing that's going to help us do that more than anything else is be content. Be content. The reason that we choose to compromise so often is because we think it's a path to gain something that we think that we need to fill something that we think in our heart is broken or empty or missing. But when we can learn to be content with the Lord, then we can do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and stand in front of people and go, hey, look, I don't know what God's going to choose to do with this. But I'm going to follow him no matter what he chooses to do with this. You can do what you want to do, but I'm going to serve the Lord. If it costs me everything, I'm still going to serve the Lord. Because I'm content that God alone is enough.
God alone is enough. I want to invite you this morning. We're just going to have a, a response time. And would you just bow your heads with me for just a moment?